Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Hello, thank you, and a very good morning to everyone, and welcome to IPC's first quarter results and operations update presentation. My name is Mike Nicholson, the CEO. I'm also joined this morning by Christoph Nergararian, the CFO, and Rebecca Gordon, who's our VP of Investor Relations. I'll begin in the usual fashion by taking you through the highlights and the operations update for the first quarter. And then I will pass across to Christoph, who will run through the financial numbers. And then at the end of both of our presentations, there will be a chance for those dialing in on the conference call to to ask questions. And you can also send in your questions via the the Internet. So if we we get started with the the highlights for the first quarter, I want to start just by touching upon the, the, the macro position. Clearly, uh, through the first quarter, we, we witnessed the, the unprecedented twin challenges of, of the COVID-19 outbreak and the impact that that, of course, had, had on oil demand and, and the initial lack of response from, from the OPEC plus group. And if we, if we look at what that means in terms of numbers, and I'm referring to, to the latest IEA numbers, global demand in the second quarter is is expected to fall by around 23 million barrels a day, Um, seeing slight improvement through June, but still down 15 million barrels a day. But even by the end of the year, we're seeing estimates of reduced demand compared to the previous year of of down by 3 million barrels per day. So when you take that together, what that means in terms of the impact on full year 2020 demand, you're looking at close to 9 million barrels per day reduction in demand. And of course, in, in early April, we, we, we thankfully saw the, the welcome news that there was going to be some coordinated measures put in place by the OPEC Plus group, by all producers, uh, in, including ourselves, and also governments, which, which we should start to see the market rebalance in the second half and, and as we move into as we move into 2021. In terms of the the supply response, the announced cuts from from OPEC Plus are a reduction of around 10 million barrels a day in May and June, about 8 million barrels a day for the second half of 2020. And then right through 2021 and to the end of the first quarter of 2022, they're still looking at about 6 million barrels a day of production curtailments. And when you add on to that the anticipated cuts from G20 nations, you're looking at further reductions through the end of this year of about 5 million barrels a day as people start to curtail their production. So I think you know, such a, a profound and sharp shock, nothing really would have rebalanced markets quickly. And, and I think the actions and the coordinated actions that have been taken you know, should see the the markets move into a deficit position in terms of starting to draw down some of the inventory builds that we've seen in the first half through through the second half. And that should hopefully start the process 
of, of market normalisation. Again, if you look at the IEA's numbers, they were talking about a, a first-half stock build of around 12 million barrels a day, um, but in the second half looking at a, a drawdown of, of 5 million barrels a day. So hopefully we're starting to, to see some signs of, of a return to a more normalised market. But, of course, that profound weakness that we've seen in, in oil prices as a result of that turns everyone's uh, business on its head and the market's essentially telling producers to cut costs, curtail production that doesn't make um, positive cash flow. And, and, of course, the key in, in, in a situation like this is to maximise your liquidity headroom. And that's exactly what IPC has done. So I'll return now to to our latest revised guidance. And what we're announcing this morning is we're actually tightening our expenditure cuts to the top end of the previously guided range. We're now looking at total expenditure, expenditure reductions of between $175 and $190 million. CAPEX and decommissioning costs have been reduced by $85 million, down to $77 million um, for the full year. And we're tightening our production guidance to 30 to 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day as a result of the further optimization work that we've concluded since our last guidance on the 2nd of April. Our, our per barrel unit operating costs are unchanged at 12 to $13 a barrel, but when you look at that in absolute terms, uh, we've got the option to reduce our operating costs down by between 90 to $105 million to 140 to 155 million dollars for the full year. Turning now to the liquidity side, our operating cash flow for the first quarter was just under 22 million dollars. That was below our original capital markets day forecast as a result of the the weak pricing that we saw through the first quarter and particularly later on in the in the first quarter timed with some of our liftings in Malaysia and our payment mechanism in France, which Christophe will come back to later on in our presentation. But on the positive side, big working capital movements, over $20 million, favourable exchange rates give us a $20 million boost, which means that when you consider we had the bulk of our capital spend in the first quarter of $56 million, our net debt from the end of the year only increased marginally from $291 million to three, just over $302 million. And, and actually, if you'd excluded uh, the share buyback, it would have been uh, slightly, slightly lower. Also very pleased to, to report that we've managed to secure a new 13 million euro unsecured credit facility. And so that will add to the liquidity position of the company. And on our other two key facilities on our international RBL discussions have commenced with the international banks and, and we're looking at extending the maturity of that facility and, and even potentially increasing that facility. And we're also pleased to see the announcement in, in April um, by the Canadian federal government that there's a program that's been put in place uh, for the oil and gas sector to ensure that they can maintain access to existing uh, liquidity lines, and, and that's going to be supported through um, some guarantees provided by the Export Development Bank of, of Canada. In terms of our hedging position, we did put in place some supplemental hedges. We, we had some existing WTI hedges through the second quarter that finished at the, at the end of the quarter. 
what we've done is we, we've added some incremental WTI hedges and we've paired them up with some Western Canadian select differential hedges. And taken together, what that means is that on our uh, crude deliveries that we anticipate now through the second quarter, we've secured a minimum realized Canadian WCS dollar per barrel price of $16 per barrel. So you know, I'll come back to where we're seeing prices for, for, for April and May, but certainly that gives us price certainty as we move through one of the weakest uh, quarterly expectations for Canadian prices. So when we look at the, the financial headroom now, updated since our, our last announcement, that's increased with the, the new French facility to in excess of $100 million. And with the operational changes and the hedging position that we've put in place, um, we're now guiding that we, we need less than 40% of our existing financial headroom through the end of the year on our worst-case planning scenario, which is a $25 per barrel Brent oil price and a $0 WCS price for the remainder of 2020. On the business development side, we... We announced early in the quarter that we'd completed the acquisition of, of granite that brought 14 million barrels of additional 2P reserves. And I'm also pleased to report that we had no material incidents um, uh, through the first quarter. And we also secured our carbon offset project um, that we talked about at our Capital Markets Day um, back in February of this year. Also very pleased to to, to report that the COVID measures that we've put in place, so in terms of reducing staff numbers, health monitoring and screening, um, and, and ensuring that we, we don't have any contamination at any of our sites, we haven't had any interruptions at any of our operational sites um, from, as a result of the, of the coronavirus. So you know, good to see the fruits of those protective measures that we've put in place paying off there through, through, this, through the first quarter. So I'm turning now to the, the next slide, which just recaps on the last guidance that we gave to the market, which was in our April the 2nd press release. We guided on the CapEx side that we were reducing by $85 million to $77 million. And we also guided on the operating cost side that we expected that to be reduced by between 125 and 190 million dollars, um, by four, sorry, by 40 to 105 million dollars. So in total, between those capex and operating cost savings, that was giving us total expenditure reductions of between 125 and 190 million dollars. That, in terms of production, uh, assuming the the largest cost reduction, so $105 million of OPEX reductions and $85 million of CAPEX reductions would have given us a low-end pr production guidance of 30,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And our high-end guidance of 45 assumed $40 million of operate, operating cost cuts and minimum voluntary production curtailment. So that was really... Um, the, the basis of the assumptions of that original guidance. And when you feed that through into the liquidity headroom that we announced at the beginning of April, we had available liquidity headroom of around $90 million. And assuming forward prices for the last nine months of $25 Brent and $0 per barrel in Canada, we expected to use approximately 50% of that available liquidity headroom. 
So when we look at the work that we've done to, to further optimise the position of the company over the last month, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, we're now looking at total expenditure reductions of between 175 and 190 million dollars. The capex guidance hasn't been changed. That's still more than a 50% reduction in our capex of 85 million dollars, down to now 77 million dollars. But we're tightening uh, the reduction in our operating costs, so we're reducing that now down by between 90 to 105 million dollars to absolute 140 to 155 million dollars for the full year. So that's an approximate 40% reduction from our original Capital Markets Day guidance. And when you feed that through in terms of the new production numbers, our unit operating cost is unchanged at between $12 to $13 per barrel. If we look at the production numbers in, in a bit more detail, tightening that production range, so we're revising it today to 30 to 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. That range is, of course, still going to be driven um, by forward-looking commodity prices and, and the operational choices uh, that we're going to be making between now and the end of the year. At the upper end of that guidance, the 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, that's, that really assumes that the existing curtailments that we've implemented in Canada will continue through the second half of 2020. The lower end of the range assumes that Canadian prices stay at zero for the rest of the year, um, and we fully curtail our Canadian production. So that's really a, a plan for the worst, but be prepared to adjust if we see improving market conditions. And, and of course, if we see markets continue to improve through the second half, we do have the flexibility um, to increase that production back above the top end of that guidance range uh, should we see stronger pricing during the second half. So when we feed that through and look at the uh, latest liquidity position, um, starting with the funding side, as I mentioned, we're very pleased to secure this additional 13 million euro facility um, that we've put in place that complements our, our existing borrowing facility. Um, this is a facility that's part of the financial assistance package that's been offered by the French governments to deal with the coronavirus um, and provide additional financial support. Christophe will come back to very attractive terms. And of course, what that means when you add that to uh, our existing financial headroom, our available liquidity headroom now increases to an in excess of $100 million. And also, as I mentioned and touched upon in the highlights, we've been able to, to capitalize on the hedging position that we have in place through, through the second quarter, um, adding some additional WTI hedges, pairing those with some Western Canadian Select differential hedges. And when you put that into context, the, the way Canadian crudes are priced, it's the average of the current month of, of WTI prices, less the WCS differential uh, for, the, for approximately the first two weeks average of the previous month. And if you look at what that would translate to in terms of actual April prices and current expectations of May prices, you'd be looking at around $4 per barrel WCS price for April and May. So having those hedges in place and ensuring that we're going to realize a minimum of $16 per barrel for the second quarter 
puts us in a in a stronger position as we can possibly be in what we expect is going to be one of the one of the weakest quarters. And of course, we did match our uh, delivery obligations against those hedging volumes to give us certainty of that minimum pricing through the second quarter. So when, when we take all of those choices um, together, the operational optimization, the, the crude delivery volumes, and the hedges in place. Uh, with the additional liquidity that we've we've uh, we've put in place, we've increased our uh, existing facilities to 104 million dollars, um, and in a, an all-price scenario of 25 Brent and zero dollars WCS, we expect to now use less than 40% of that available liquidity headroom. So it puts IPC in a in a very strong position to to weather uh, the downturn. Turning to the next slide, just touching upon the, the first quarter production and, and, and expectations going forward. If you look at the Q1 production, it was actually in line with our original Capital Markets Day uh, guidance. Um, you can see the production through through the, the first quarter. We had the Berta May 20 well uh, came online during January. Um, late in the quarter, we did take the decision to suspend the sidetrack of the, the A15 well. We, we faced some operational challenges as a result of some tool failures. That meant um, our shales were exposed for longer um, than we wanted to do, which gave us some issues with running the completion equipment. But uh, as a result of the, the weakness that we saw um, in commodity prices, we decided to, to suspend that sidetrack and come back at a later date to continue that activity. Looking forward to production outlook, uh, production curtailments um, in Canada, you could see late in March there, um, we did take very swift action and we did already start to, uh, to slow down our production late in March in Canada. And as we look forward, um, decisions will need to be taken and, and these decisions will be taken on a month-to-month -month basis, particularly on Onion Lake Thermal, um, we're partially curtailed um, right now, and any decision on full curtailment will be, be based on that month-to-month look-at-forward pricing. We, in our production guidance numbers, um, we don't expect any curtailment on our suffuel gas because that's still generating positive cash flow, um, nor is there any assumption of production curtailment from our Bertam field. We do have some partial production curtailment on our Paris Basin asset, as a result of refinery constraints, and again, those are built into our latest production guidance numbers. Turning to our operating costs, our Q1 operating costs was slightly ahead of guidance at $12.50 per barrel, and as I've mentioned previously, OPEX reductions across all assets based upon the low oil price environment with the, the reduction range of between 90 to $105 million, approximate 40% reduction from that original CMD guidance, which translates into a reduced unit operating costs down to between $12 to $13 per barrel compared with our original CMD guidance of just below $14 per barrel. And as I mentioned, we have got the flexibility uh, to ramp that back up um, should we see an improvement in pricing uh, through the second half of this year. In terms of our capital expenditure, 
Um, total 2020 capex and decommissioning expenditure is now forecast at $77 million. You can see from the chart on the top right-hand side of the slide, the majority of that capex has been spent, $56 million of that, during the first quarter. So really minimal capex remaining for the, the rest of 2020. And essentially, we've... Um, we've cancelled or deferred all forward-looking discretionary projects um, in all regions, and we've reduced our abandonment costs strictly to compliance spend only uh, for the remainder of 2020. And the final slide, just an update on the, the ESG strategy that we presented back in our February Capital Markets Day. Um, you know, IPC is committed to reducing our carbon footprint over the next five years down to, to the global average. Um, we currently have an average of just over 30 kilograms of CO2 per BOE, and that five-year reduction target is to get us down to uh, 20 kilograms per BOE. number of operational initiatives already enacted that have seen us take about 150,000 tonnes of CO2 per year out of our business. And we've started um, to commit to that carbon offsetting program. We've partnered with First Climate um, and are pleased to report that we've been able to secure 50,000 tonnes of CO2 reductions um, in the first quarter, which meets that full year 2020 commitment. So that concludes um, my part of the presentation. I'll pass across to Christoph now, who will run through the financial numbers. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, good morning to everyone. So the, we're on slide 12 now. The, the production for the first quarter was at uh, 46,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, just shy of our initial guidance, which uh, and the reason why it was slightly below is partially the, the voluntary curtailment we, we, we made in Canada, as explained by, by Mike. Then the, the average brand price for the quarter stands at uh, 50 US dollar per barrel on average for the, for the quarter. But obviously, the quarter has been extremely volatile because the, the brand started at uh, above 65 dollar at the beginning of the quarter, but ended at, uh, at 15, uh, was actually 15 US dollar on the 1st of April. And so that has had an impact, obviously, on, on our revenues as we were selling more towards the end of the, the quarter. I'll come back to that uh, in, uh, in my next slide. The, the OPEX were in line at uh, 12 and a half US dollar per BOE, as mentioned, and we are, we, are, we, are, we are revising down our guidance for the year at between 12 and 13 US dollar per BOE, so improving our performance there on the back of the, the heavy cost-cutting exercise we've been through and that, uh, that, that which Mike talked about. The, the operating cash flow was, um, was uh, weaker than expected, obviously, in our capital markets there as a result, purely as a result of um, a drop in revenues on the back of a drop in the, in the oil prices across, uh, across the globe. So the operating cash flow and EBITDA were reasonably just above and below 20 million US dollars. Uh, making our, our net result for the quarter negative 40 million US dollar, which was also mainly not not mainly, but we 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 had a negative 
finance charge, which is uh, which is non-cash, resulting from um, from the depreciation of the Canadian dollar against the U.S. dollar. I'll come back to that. Moving on to the to the next slide on realized prices, I think it's it's important to understand that um, we are we we are selling or Malaysian cargoes when those cargoes are ready to be lifted, obviously. And so what happened in this quarter is that we had one uh, cargo in Malaysia in February and two in March. So selling on the average of the, the, the dated brand price, one cargo in February, two in March. So on average, the reference dated brand for Malaysian cargo was actually 40 US dollar per barrel. And so when you look at the realized price of 48.9, we actually had very, very high premiums on our cargoes in Malaysia, just shy of $9 per barrel, but the reference uh, dated brand was not 50 uh, but $40. And almost the same story goes for France, where actually our, our, our sale formula is based on the, the, the forward months. So the production in France for January, February, and March was actually settled and, uh, on, the, on the February, March. April average dated Brent, and so over that February to April period, the, the average dated Brent was uh, 35 US dollars. So, if you if you look at the realized price, actually it was really uh, as usual, if not better, for for Malaysia and as usual for France, but translated into a, a much lower realized price overall, especially compared to the, to the, 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 the seemingly average brand price for, the, for, for Q1. In Canada, the WTA was, uh, was on average $4 below the, the brand, and we, we experienced the differential between the WTA and the WCS of uh, around $21. US And it's, uh, it's worth mentioning that uh, on the back of uh, the current curtailment in Canada, one of the positive is that uh, we see the, the cost of taking barrels from Alberta or from Western Canada to Gulf Coast or wherever it's needed uh, to refineries is, uh, is, um, is much less expensive. And so actually we've seen a, a very welcome tightening of that differential below $10 lately. On, uh, on our gas prices, um, so the, the, win the winter months, uh, which is really from November to end of March in Canada, those, uh, those winter months are usually, the, um, are usually very cold and as a result translate into a higher gas consumption, which itself translates into a higher gas price. The Q1 this year in North America was uh, was the, the the winter was uh, was reasonably uh, was not so cold as it was last year, for instance, translating into reasonably soft gas prices, and we realized uh, 2.28 Canadian dollar per MCF during that quarter. That this being said, on the back of the massive oil production curtailments that we can witness in North America and especially in the U.S., all the associated gas usually produced with the, the shale oil production is no longer coming to the market. So as a result, the, the, all the economists are very constructive on the, the gas price, for the, especially for the second half of this year and even towards the the, the later months of this summer strip. So we are quite constructive on gas prices going forward, 
and um, and expect a much stronger everything being equal we expect a much stronger winter uh, next winter uh, 2020 over 2021 in terms of operating cash flow and EBITDA, the story is fairly simple uh, here. The revenues compared to the, the first quarter of 2019 were 60 million, 65 million lower this quarter, and that, that, that directly translates into lower operating cash flow and EBITDA. The, the only positive being, as Mike mentioned, that we benefit this quarter from a positive working capital uh, movement, change in working capital that is typically beneficial to our, to our cash position. And I, I'll, I'll explain that uh, after in a couple of slides. In terms of operating costs, we've lowered and improved our guidance in the, in the current um, challenging conditions that, that we are all aware of. So we're guiding, we, we had the operating cost per barrel of 12 and a half US dollar per BOE this quarter and we expect to remain within the range of 12 to 13, and we keep on investigating ways to actually further improve this, um, this OPEX per barrel for the full year. In terms of net back, another way to look at it is, uh, is to look at our revenues and costs on the, on the dollar per barrel basis, with revenues just shy of uh, $20 per, bar per BOE, for the, for the first quarter and uh, operating cost, as I just mentioned, of 12 and a half. We, have, we generated uh, gross margin operating cash flow just above $5 per BOE and EBITDA of $4.5 per, per barrel, so much lower than the, than, than the previous quarter. Now, looking at the, the net debt reconciliation from the beginning towards the end of this quarter, it's interesting, I believe, to exclude uh, two, uh, two I, would, I would call it exceptional items. So we closed the, the granite oil acquisition on the 5th of March, and um, the, the total consideration was roughly 80 million CAD, 50-50 between the, the equity portion of the transaction and the, the other 40 million CAD, which was the assumed part of the existing granite oil debt. And the other one was until the roughly around, uh, from the beginning of the year until our capital markets day, we continued on our share purchase program. And so excluding those two elements or adding those two elements to the opening net debt this quarter, we had uh, a net debt of 304.5 million US dollars. And so our, our, our net debt was flat during that quarter, excluding the granite oil acquisition and the share buyback program, which was the result of uh, 20 million operating cash flow, 50 million, 54 million development capex, but a positive effect on the FX given the, 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 the comparative weakness of the Canadian dollar, and as, uh, as just mentioned, by a positive change in working capital in excess of 23 million US dollars. So we always knew and it was always the plan that our first quarter would be the, the heaviest in terms of, of capex. We've obviously, as explained previously by Mike during this um, Thor cost-cutting exercise uh, we embarked on, we, um, we've cut uh, pretty much all remaining capex for the year 
and uh, and you shouldn't expect to see that massive capex anymore in the in the next three quarters this year. In terms of uh, GNA and financial items, happy to 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 report as you'd expect that the GNA are very much under control and uh, are standing for less than 0.6 or around 0.6 dollar per BOE this quarter. In terms of financial income. Just worth mentioning uh, a couple of points there. Interest expenses have increased, as you'd expect, on the back of higher outstanding debt in, uh, on the back of the granite oil acquisition and uh, the flip side of it being a modest decrease in our commitment fees as we're using a bit more of our credit facilities. The, the main charge here is, a, is actually a foreign exchange loss. That is the result of uh, some intra-group loans we have uh, denominated in Canadian dollar, Canadian dollar having depreciated against our external debt in U.S. dollar. We are registering, uh, we are, we are reporting here an, a loss of 22 million U.S., which is absolutely non-cash and has no impact on taxes. In terms of financial results, on slide 20, so with, uh, with 46,000 barrels of uh, production this quarter, we, we had a cash margin of, uh, of 21 million US dollars, less depletion GNN financial items, including this uh, non-cash item that translated, as we reported before, into a negative result of 40 million. On the balance sheet, uh, total, asset, total assets remain flat at, uh, or very, very close to, to stable, at uh, 1.35 billion US dollar. Oil and gas properties very, very stable at 1.1 uh, billion. Interesting to note, as you'd expect, again, that the current, as the current assets decreased as a result of um, the, the, the lowest revenues we expect from March into April, and which also explains why we had a positive change in working capital, because the Revenues we cashed in in January, which was ge which were generated in December, were were higher, and so the, the current assets were higher at the end of 19 compared to the end of this quarter. On the flip side, on the liability side, you can see the increase in uh, in financial liabilities, which is mainly the result of uh, the fact that we're now assuming, on the back of the granite oil acquisition, we're assuming the previous granite debt. The Really, really, this quarter, or towards the end of the quarter, and since uh, pretty much the 9th of March, on the back of the, the initial uh, oil price war launched by Saudi Arabia and Russia, and then the, the demand destruction resulting from the COVID-19 outbreak, IPC management has been focusing on, on, on really two items. First one was the optimization of or uh, operations, uh, which really meant curtailing production to, to, to adapt our, our business to the environment and to the oil price environment. The second leg of our strategy was to actively engage with our credit providers to ensure that we always have enough access to liquidity to weather what uh, we expect to be uh, another challenging uh, few quarters, even though 
we can see that the, the, the oil prices have, um, have rebounded a bit. And so as a result of engaging with, um, with, our, with, our, with our partners, our credit partners, we were, we were quick to identify uh, the, the French government-backed economic support plan, which was rolled out uh, four weeks ago, or which was announced four weeks ago. And so happy to report that we just got, uh, we just entered into a 13 million euro loan, which is unsecured, 90% guaranteed by the French state, and which bears cost of only 0.5%. There are no fees, no other costs, so it's unsecured, makes, uh, makes our other banking partners comfortable, no fees, 0.5% uh, cost per annum. It's, uh, it's, a tw it's an initial 12 months facility, which can be ext extend extendable at our option for another five years. We were also actively engaged with our international banks for international RBL, which was not previously maximized. And so we've embarked on the process to refinance and extend the maturity of this loan with a view as well to improve the, the facility size. So that's pretty much uh, work, work in progress. Also happy to report that in Canada, we, we, we obviously have good uh, dialogue with our banking partners. And on the back of the, the recently announced federal plan support upstream companies, we've also had uh, bilateral discussions with EDC, which is going to support commercial banks to ensure that upstream companies who qualify for, the, for that plan will, um, will keep on having uh, a very good access to liquidity. And uh, based on our initial discussion with both commercial banks and the EDC, IPC totally qualifies for that plan. So both of the both of the refinance both the refinancing of the international RBL and the outcome of the redetermination of our Canadian RBL together with the support from the EDC, we would expect to be able to report at the latest on those on both those points before the before at the the Q2 release in early August. So, that's, uh, so that, that was really, on the, on the finance side, a challenging quarter, but uh, good progress on the, on the liquidity, actually an improved situation even compared to only four weeks ago as a result of the, the active management and uh, reshape of our business in, uh, in only a few weeks. Thank you, and I, I hand back to, to Mike for the, the conclusion. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Christoph. Yeah, and as, as Christoph just referred to, it's clearly been a, a very challenging time for um, for the upstream oil and gas industry with a profound commodity price weakness that we've seen. But I, I think what I've been most impressed about for, for IPC is that we, we do obviously operate all of our assets and we've got a huge dis degree of discretion and we have been able to, to swiftly react to, to the challenges and significantly reduce our expenditure levels. So cuts that we're announcing today down a total of 175 to, to $190 million. We're tightening our production guidance range to, to 30 to 37,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. We do have the flexibility to increase that. And, and some of the early signs that we're seeing, we're seeing Canadian crude prices today trading above $20 per barrel. So there is the potential opportunity to, to flex up from that point. Operating costs uh, slightly down from our CMD guidance, down to $12 to $13 per barrel. 
for the full year. And as Christoph has mentioned, we've been able to, to improve the liquidity situation of the company from the last business plan update just over four weeks ago. Um, the cash flows that we generated of just under $22 million have been able to, to fund our capital expenditure in the heaviest quarter, $56 million. And with the, the favourable working capital movement of $23 million, exchange rates of $20 million have meant that our net debt has only increased from $290 million to just over $300 million. And as Christoph talked through, we've been successful in securing that very low cost additional €13 million Euro credit facility. In terms of the hedging program that we've got in place, you know, that does give us certainty through what's expected to be a weak quarter of pricing, particularly in Canada. And on the production volumes that we're expected to, to deliver, we've secured a minimum realized WCS price of $16 per barrel. So when you put those two together, financial headroom increasing to in excess of $100 million, um, you know, the hedges in place, reducing our liqui uh, required liquidity uh, through the remainder of the year means that now less than 40% of that existing financial headroom is expected to be utilised uh, to fund the business plan for the remainder of the year. And that's a big improvement from the last business plan update. And that does assume, um, you know, the worst case scenario of $25 Brent and zero Canadian prices for the remainder of the year. Completed the granite acquisition early in the first quarter, an additional 14 million barrels of long life reserves coming into the portfolio. And as I mentioned on the ESG side, no, no material incidents to report uh, during the first quarter, and we've secured uh, the carbon offsets uh, to meet our 2020 uh, reduction commitments. So that concludes the, the presentation part. We can now turn across and open up for questions. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you do have any questions, it's 01 on your telephone keypad to register. And our first question comes from the line of David Ran from BMO. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thanks. Sorry, I've, I've got three questions. Firstly, on Onion Lake, you know, obviously, it feels like that's a bit of a, a swing factor for you guys this year. So, would you would you be able to just elaborate on what a partial curtailment actually means in terms of both production, pads online, etc., and then just run through the, the specific challenges with with shutting in that type of of asset and how you model or manage those risks. Um, the second one, probably for for Christoph, just in terms of opex, just really interested in. In how you're managing to maintain unit OPEX at 12 to 13 dollars a barrel, given there must be some elements of, of fixed costs that, that you're still incurring. And the third one is, is Malaysia. You've obviously mentioned the A15 well. Can you just cover performance from the other production wells there and perhaps where you're guiding full year production to? Thank you. Okay, David, yeah, I'll take the, the first and, and, and the third question. So in terms of Onion Lake, Thermal, and, and the swing factors, so your production capacity uh, was, was around 12,000 barrels a day, and that, that doesn't include the initial planned contributions from D-Prime, which is, of course, now, now being suspended. So where we're looking at as we move through the second quarter, um, we're, we're looking at curtailing onion lake production by approximately 50%. So 
the high end of the guidance assumes that that curtailment level re remains for the remainder of the, the second half of 2020. And the full, down to the $30,000 per barrel full year range, assumes that we would fully shut Onion Lake Thermal in. Now, in terms of the, the operational flexibility, of course, we, the best way in a thermal project to, to give yourself the, the quickest opportunity to respond and ramp production back up is continue the steam cycling. So what we're tending to do is to, to still steam cycle and just partially curtail production from all of those pads that gives us the opportunity to ramp up much more quickly. Okay. And, the, and the third question, I think, was on, was on Malaysia uh, A15. So, yeah, the, I mean, another, it's been another very good performance in terms of the Bertam FPSO with a 99% production uptime, again, during, during the first quarter. So, excluding the, um, you know, excluding the, the fact that we don't have the production contribution from the the A15 well, which in this which in this low oil price environment is a you like can be seen as a blessing in disguise, and um, we've seen production broadly in line with with, with expectation. On the, on the sorry, go ahead. I was just going to follow up on, on the Malaysia. You know, obviously you've had the operational issues. Is there a, a solution there, or, or you know, has the um, the thinking there changed, you know, do you expect that, you know, there is a way to get A15 up on the stream when, when prices make it make sense? Yeah, I mean, typically, so so the, the issue was when we we drilled through the shale and um, we had some, some problem with tool reliability, which meant those shales were exposed for a longer period. So the, the, the plan when we go back would be, as we've done in, in, in other areas of the, of the Bertam Reservoir, would be to, uh, to case off the shales before we drill the side track. So that's the, that's the engineering solution to, to take that issue out going forward. Okay. On the, on the, on the OPEC side, obviously a, big, a, a, a very good question, David. I was, we, 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 were, we were thinking of ourselves as uh, lean and uh, cheap operators, but we, we just discovered that we could be even leaner. And so what that means is that we've proportionally cut back more, um, more cost than, uh, than viable because, indeed, you have a, you have a portion of fixed costs. Uh, by investigating deeper, we realized that some of those fixed costs could actually be shut, um, take, take, taken out. And so we, we've, th th there were also some, uh, some elements of uh, reported as OPEC, such as uh, uh, min minor workovers or small work to, uh, to, to improve uh, productivity from wells. All of that activity has been taken out. Um, so that, that, that was a combination of looking deeper into the, um, deeper into the, 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 the way we, we operate and also, um, and also a reduction in, uh, in additional activity to maintain production. And I guess we've also been able to, to reduce our contract staff significantly, which we're going to be involved in some of the, the work over and growth projects. So yeah. we can obviously set aside all of that contract staff, which removes a significant cost as well. Okay. Portion, okay. Of, partial unemployment in France, partial unemployment in Canada, we're, we're using all the all the tricks. Got it. Got it. Cheers.
Thank you. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, for any questions, it's 01 on your telephone keypad. And we currently have no more questions registered, so I hand back to our speakers. Okay, thanks. Uh, we do have three questions from the internet. So, firstly, Mike, will it be possible to return production to 50,000 barrels a day with the current CapEx haircut? Can we think again in 50,000 barrels a day production if oil comes back to higher levels in the second half of 2021, for example? Yeah, I mean, of, of course, the, the, the assets still have that production capacity in our reserve base. So, you know, the, the, the actions that we're taking today are not expected to have any impact in terms of our overall reserves position. So, of course, how is it possible for us to get back to 50,000 barrels a day? Yes, is the short answer. The question will be, um, where will oil prices be and how quickly do we want to ramp up our capital expenditure? And is it prudent to do that? So it's going to be a balancing decision as to how much capital we want to allocate and how quickly we want to ramp back up to those levels. Okay, thanks, Mike. Um, Christoph, there's a, there's a question on the curtailment strategy for IPC. Is there any effect on Malaysian op operations and are we still receiving revenue on the Malaysia side? Yeah, no, absolutely. We continue to, to produce and uh, sell our barrels, so no, no, no particular incidents on that front. We're expecting to sell less, uh, less cargoes in the, in the second quarter, which is actually a blessing given where oil prices stand. So with a, with a bit of uh, oil price rebound in, uh, in Q4 overall, uh, we should achieve between Q2 and Q3 a better, a better average uh, toward, towards the, the, the later quarter. So obviously, second quarter will be challenging again, but we, we believe we're well positioned. And as Mike just mentioned, the performance on our Malaysian assets continue to be very, very good. Yep, and just to clarify, would we still be able to rent the SPSO while shutting in Malaysian operations? Yes, that's, that ownership, yeah? yes yeah, that, that's a contractual obligation, correct, yeah. Yep. Um, uh, Mike, a question on the Black Rod pilot. Is your intention to continue this pilot as planned, and what is the status at the moment? So the, so the pilot has been suspended um, as we speak, so we still plan to maintain a, a minimum level of heat going into the pilot well, but we don't plan to produce it until we see prices recover. Yep. And one final question that's just come through on pipeline development in Canada. Um, how do you see the projects being impacted by the current crisis? I, th I think if we if we look at the you know the, the announcements that we've seen um, you know through the first quarter, you know, directionally it's been it's been positive. Um, you know, we've seen on the on the Trans Mountain pipeline that construction has started. Um, about half of the 50-kilometre section outside Edmonton has has already been completed, and uh, work on the additional storage tanks and in Burnaby on the west coast has also started. So, the the latest update from um, from the company is that they expect all sections of the pipeline to be. Uh, under construction by, by the end of this year and I haven't seen any changes to the planned construction completement towards the, the end of 2022. Um, I think when you look at the, the Keystone XL project, it was, it was obviously very positive during the first quarter to see TC Energy take the final investment decision in that project and also 
to see that the Alberta government was committing over a billion US dollars in equity investment uh, to fund the, the project through 2020. There has been some challenges with respect to construction around the waterways, um, but you know construction is planned to to commence on on that pipeline. So again, directionally, there's been a positive there. And the the latest update on the Enbridge uh, Line Three replacement. Uh, the last couple of challenges have been overturned. I think there's two remaining permits uh, that are required from the, the the resource department and the Army Corps. And the latest update from the, the company was that they expect to get those permits around uh, June, July. And it takes six to eight months to complete the remaining section. The only section that needs to be completed is through Minnesota. Uh, so we could be looking potentially at an in-service date uh, late 2020 and into 2021, but I haven't seen any um, material updates as a result of coronavirus if there's been uh, impacted uh, schedule delays. Okay, thanks Mike. That's the end of the web questions and also the phone questions. Okay, well, I'd like to thank uh, everyone for, for, for tuning in. Clearly it's been, it's been a tough quarter, but I think we've taken the firm actions to to reset our business plan, put the company on a, on a very strong financial footing to, to, to get through the crisis, and, and we look forward to, to markets rebalancing and starting to, um, to, to, to look forward to resetting our growth plans as we move ahead. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. Have, Thanks, a, have a nice day. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.